Okay, Andy, this one is for you. We are a smallish organization, about a $3 million annual budget. Side note, many organizations would be drooling for that size budget. <laughs> kill so for a $3 just, million dollar annual Just going to yes. say, but anyway, Smallish, I guess it's, it's yeah. all relative, right? Sorry, that was just <laughs> me piping in. So, okay. So organization that's got a $3 million annual budget. Recently, we got the good news that a major foundation is coming to tour our facility and learn more about the work we do and how we are managed. This foundation has a reputation for asking really tough questions, particularly when it comes to finances. Other than knowing our numbers inside out, what questions do you think we should be prepared to answer? Oh, boy. I love tough questions, especially tough finance questions. Ooh, yeah. So what would you ask, Andy, if you were going to do that? I don't, you know... I, I wouldn't ever do that. So, so if I'm looking at a, right, I wouldn't ever like try to like stump the chump while we're going on a tour. I think that would be rude. It's my opinion. Um, I think you can get like 90% of what you need to know off of the grant application and any materials that you're asked. And then looking at things like the 990 and the annual report and the audited financial statements. I think from a finance perspective, I think that's most of the information can be got there. Um, so, so yeah, know your numbers inside out is really the, really the answer there. And I'm not, I'm curious what kinds of like other random questions that would be tough that a funder would ask you that you wouldn't automatically know. So one of the, so here's one of the things that I learned early on um, as a finance person is never to do math in my head. Um, I'm super good when I'm like sitting at my desk and I've got a calculator next to me and I've got Excel cracked open and you answer, ask me something super complicated and I could bang out an answer for you really, really fast, but I want to have the scratch paper down so that I know I'm giving you the correct answer. Cause like there's something, I mean, it's just me, right? If somebody asks me something hard, my blood pressure goes up, my brain stops functioning. And I just will say the first thing that comes to mind, right? Especially if it's a hard question. Like, so how many people did you serve last year? Oh, like 82. I don't know. It's <laughs> just like, yeah, just freak yeah. out. Yeah. So, yeah. so Brain I would freeze. have, some, if it were me, I would have some notes, like just to make sure that all of the, the, the numbers of, that you've calculated that you think are important for them to know are like at hand. And so you can look things up if you need to, um, expecting, expecting somebody to like be able to rattle off things like your your fundraising ratios or what percentage of your donors are, you know, in your last direct mail, like what was your response rate for your, for your returning donors? Like, I mean, those kinds of things you shouldn't actually be expected to know. And I, Um, you know, I'd be curious because, you know, the person who wrote this said, gosh, you know, other than we need to know our numbers inside out. And, And, you know, to your point, Andy, I don't know, like, first of all, we don't know what exactly this funder is going to ask, right? So right, like, even right. though there's a reputation and what's hard to one group is easy to another. Like I have found in my, in kind of my experience over the years, when foundations come and ask, they'll ask things more like, so, so talk to me about, you know, how does, how does financial oversight work in your organization, right? What's your board's role? What's the staff's role? Who's handling like the finances in your organization? What's what's their background? What's their experience? So so it's a little bit you know like how does your budget align with your strategic priorities? Like it's stuff that's a little bit of a more global, bigger picture question is what I have found. 
most yeah. funders ask. And they, you know, and those are all good questions, right? But, um, you know, the other thing is, you know, like I've had some funders, One t- at one point I worked for an organization where the funder said, so, you know, if your resources shrunk, like, or, you know, by 10% or grew by 10%, like, you know, if your if your annual budget, what would be the impact? So like, so sort of showing, you know, that kind of gets to the, do you have the operating reserve? Do you have like whatever, you know? So, so I think, I don't know, I would try not to trip, get too tripped up and into like feeling like you need all those numbers memorized. And then, and to Andy's point that you have brain freeze, like <laughs> maybe you just like really make sure you've got the core, like here's how we're managed as an organization financially. Here's how the oversight happens. Here's how we make sure checks and balances. Like some of those key questions that funders should care about. And if they ask you those detailed questions, I think it's more than fair to say, you know, I want to give you accurate information. So can I get back to you on that? Like, like that's ridiculous. I mean, it, you know, and I don't want to get upset about something that hasn't happened. But if someone <laughs> does, right? Yeah. No offense, funders. Like, but if you're asking something and you want something really specific and detailed in the moment, like, that's not cool. So, so yeah. The other thing that always used to, like, make me crazy is when, when people would ask hypothetical questions. Like, so, so say there was um, a global pandemic and everybody (laughs) needed to stay, needed to work at home for like two and a half years. Like, what would you do then? And you're like, I I don't know. I've never thought about that. Right. (laughs) It's like your your hypothetical question has made me like have a lot more questions. Right. And now it's always keeping me (laughs) up at night. Now I'm worrying. Now I'm super worried about that one thing. Right. Which would never happen. Um, so yeah, so, so, I don't know. I think I think Stacey's exactly right. Just make sure that you know what you know and ask. Say you know, might need more time to come up with something different. Maybe there. Are, maybe the reason people think they're asking questions is that they're specifically drilling into things that they've noticed by looking at the rest of it. Like so, for example, if they think you're weak on cash flow, a question like Stacy posed, which was like if you know if you saw a 15% downturn in revenue over the next year what would you do like maybe that's because they're trying to prod you into saying something like oh we have a line of credit for a million dollars that we can tap at any time because they didn't see that in the materials that you provided them before so i don't know again this one feels like a a trap question cuz we don't know what they're going to ask and i don't know what really tough questions they would ask so it's hard to hard to give a good answer Nonprofit governance. Nonprofit answers. Nonprofit board. Nonprofit management. Nonprofit marketing. Nonprofit resources. The Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits presents Nonprofit Everything, the podcast about everything nonprofit, with your host, Andy Shurick and Stacy Wedding. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Nonprofit Everything. So I will give you a sneak peek behind the scenes. Andy and I started this podcast recording today talking a bit about how we are really, really curious to get feedback from you. Uh, You know, sometimes it can feel a little bit like we're doing this in a box when we don't hear from anybody. So we want to know, like, what's working? What's not? Do you know people who used to listen who aren't anymore? We would love to invite your feedback because we are always trying to make this better. So please, um, please just ping one of us. Tell us, I promise we're not going to take it personally. If you hate it, tell us what you hate, right? We want to know it. So we want to keep improving and we're open to any ideas you have as well. So um, with that, uh, we just 
are so glad to have you as our listeners. We couldn't do this without you and without your questions. So you know where to keep them coming, you know, either ping us directly or find us on any of the social channels, podcast channels, nonprofiteverything.com. We are easy to find. Thanks so much. Before being hired into the world of nonprofit, I came from the corporate sector. In my new job at this nonprofit, I've been tasked with organizing some of our fundraising events. Other than keeping costs down, I'm curious as to how nonprofit events differ from for-profit events and what I may need to keep in mind as I plan events for my organization. Any suggestions? I think that the end user experience is what you are striving for in both situations. So I don't think there's any difference with that. Like, so, I mean, from a standpoint of, from the minute someone comes into your event and if there's like a registration table, how does that flow to the next point of entry, you know, the next place you take them for your event to, you know, the food, like the entire sort of array, like you want the person to go, wow, this was like a good experience. And I don't think that varies in for-profit versus nonprofit. I think that in nonprofit, you're probably going to see a lot more, um, you know, it's it's got, in my personal opinion is events sh- should have some sort of tie back and focus back to the mission, right? Like, and, and always finding a way to embed the mission in the event in some way, um, in, an, in a way that reminds you of the cause and why you're there. Um, and the fundraising pieces, right? Like, I don't know on, on, I haven't probably been to enough for-profit events or corporate events to be able to say, but like you go to a corporate event, usually you are just the receiver, but like nonprofit event, you're also trying to like hit all those emotional cords. So maybe people will give you more at that event, whether it's, you know, whatever those, those tactics are, whether it's a raffle, silent auction, live auction, whatever, like just make a gift to the organization for its great work. Like, so in order to be able to do that, you're going to have to really sort of share a story and strike an emotional chord with me. So like, I don't know. So I think that's where I would, where I would assume you'd see the biggest, the biggest shift. It, it just looks probably a little different. Like instead of like a for-profit that's trying to get me to be a repeat customer, maybe buy their new product or whatever the purpose of the event is, like it's just a different end goal. Um, but, but I think a, there's a lot of things that are transferable and and I think sometimes nonprofits use no money or no budget as an excuse for having a subpar event. And the reality is, is that even with us, I've gone to tiny events that blow my mind because they did such a good job of making making the user end user experience, making my experience as an attendee feel feel really good, like like. It was a smooth process for check-in. It was people were kind and thank you so much for being here. Like, like, and it didn't take a ton of money to do that. So, so I think I'd also say get creative because like, it's about how you make people feel who were at that event. And so you can do that in ways that don't require a ton of money. Yes. Yes. Would <laughs> you like, say no, ditto? I'm thinking like this is yeah. like the yeah ditto. Everything Stacy said was right. Um, wow! The, for once, for once, yeah, Andy like, like you need me to validate your opinion. Oh. Right? That's like the last thing Stacy needs from me. <laughs> um, the, <laughs> the, 
I, I think I might just be the worst person to ask questions like this too, because I, I really, so you're coming from, uh, the, the corporate sector, you're moving into the nonprofit sector and you're immediately dunked into the deep end of fundraising events, which to be perfectly honest, the reason, my opinion, obviously the, the reason people have fundraising events is because asking people for money and giving them nothing in exchange, except for a good feeling is really uncomfortable. It is an uncomfortable thing to do and you have to be practiced at it. You have to be good at it. You have to know why, what your mission is, is going to resonate with the person you're asking money from. Um, it's, it's a complicated thing. And a lot of boards and a lot of organizations like freak out at that and think the only way I'm ever going to get anybody to give our organization money is to trick them. We're going to do, we're going to have some sort of product that we can then exchange this product for them to give us money. So because an exchange transaction makes perfect sense in the sort of world of commerce that we live. So they understand that. They understand buying tickets. They understand bidding on things. They understand auctions. All of these things make sense. Asking somebody for money for nothing other than, you know, this is a good reason to give me money is because this thing is going to happen is super, super hard. Um, the, so my opinion is like, a lot of times, and we get, we've gotten in trouble for saying this, is like fundraising events a lot of times are, are the lowest effort way to get people to give you money. They're the highest cost way for people to give you money. Some donors, we've said this before, some donors only want to give using this mechanism. They, they can't be convinced that your mission is important enough for them to just hand you a check. Um, for those donors, like they want to be able to write it off on their corporate credit card and they can use their corporate credit card to go to this event to pay for this thing. And a portion of that was, is going to go to your, to your nonprofit. So I think understanding, especially since you're new, spending some time like sort of understanding the universe of how fundraising events fit into all of the different mechanisms that you use to raise money for your organization, I think would be a really, really good first step. Like how does this dovetail with um, the rest of our, our uh, relationship building with our constituents. How does this work with the people that we're actually trying to serve? Like how does this fundraising event affect them? Or, or is there a way to, to use, use our relationship with the people who receive our services to make this fundraising event more effective from getting people to understand why your, your mission is important? I mean, I think there are a lot of bits and pieces you can put in before you just go, yeah, let's throw a party and people are going to give us money. And part of this, I think one of the reasons I've become more jaded about fundraising events over time is well, two things. One, as soon as I walk up to the registration table and some person I've never met who's wearing like a black t-shirt asks me for my credit card so that they can put it into their auction system, right? That's initially like the first step is like me, like wanting to, res you know, my cheap self wanting to resist handing some person my credit card so that I can buy crap that I didn't want in the first place. Right. That's I'm instantly like on guard and then I'm on guard for the rest of the event. So like I'm already in the wrong headspace to appreciate it. The other thing is that, I mean, this Stacy and I both live in Las Vegas and the, the base level of opulence in Las Vegas is exceedingly high. So if you're listening to this podcast in someplace else where you're not in Las Vegas, like basically everywhere else in the entire planet, right? Yep, yep. If you're listening to this podcast anywhere else on the entire planet, you go into a gala event and having a nice dinner in a conference room or at a, like in a ballroom and having a band. And that might seem like something that's really, you know, interesting and new and fun here in Las Vegas. It's like, 
So boring, right? It's like we can, <laughs> anybody can go have a really good dinner and go have a party anytime they want to for like, and, and not have to be asked for their credit card at the beginning of the process too. Like it's, this is a joke, like with people, um, like if you've ever been in the lobby of the Bellagio, like there's just, there's more art in the lobby of the Bellagio than there is in some whole cities, right? <laughs> right? right. Like really good art too. And, and you living here, you become really sort of like, you expect that that's what the lobby of a hotel is supposed to look like because you've been in that one. And then you're in, you know, I was in, I was on site at a client site doing some stuff a couple of weeks ago or last week. And, uh, the lobby wasn't that nice. Yeah, <laughs> the yeah. coffee wasn't even very good, yeah, right? I'm sure. So, <laughs> I'm sure. So, so there's like, I get super jaded over like, you know, like, do I really want to have to drive downtown in Valley Park so that I can have some marginal chicken and listen to an auctioneer try to sell me a trip to somebody's crap vacation home in Cancun that I have no intention of going to? Like, my, like I'm already annoyed by it. And that's not the position you want somebody to give you money to be in. They don't want, and maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm just like, I've been doing this too long and I'm too curmudgeonly about like, which I'm sure is probably the case. Well, I don't know. (laughs) I guess I also, I mean, I I think there's an opportunity for this person as a new person to also think outside of the box. So I have seen people do some really, like take an event that's the standard rubber chicken dinner that's the really boring program and really spice it up and make it super compelling. And, And so I think there's ways to do it. And so like that would be a challenge I'd have for you to help overcome people like Andy. And and sometimes, to you know, in all fairness to me, like after so many events, if they all feel the same and sound the same, I start to forget whose event was whose. And that's not what you want, right? Like, so I guess I just say, how do you make it memorable? And that could just be memorable about how was that, how did that experience feel different than like the other experiences I've had. So if you have a budget or if you're even able, like a board member buys a table and wants to fill like a seat and you're able to go, check out what other events are doing because I think that it'll give you a sense of how you might be able to position your organization a little different and maybe use some of your corporate ideas to help with that. I also think different kinds and sizes of events. If you are whole, if you were hired just for events, right, you're kind of stuck in the event like box, but I'm like, maybe there's a, maybe it's a small, uh, like house party event or, um, did you ever see one of those events, Andy? And I'm, I'm going off tangent here, but like, I was so excited about it. It was like little, um, was like, I don't know, like a snail race or like, like whatever, like something where like you, you watch and it tied into like the mission or like a duck derby race. And you bought your, your little, like, instead of a Kentucky Derby, right. You got your little tag around the the little duck in the pond. And, and anyways, it was just, but it was funny. And they found a way to tie it into their theme and their mission. But like, I remember sitting there going, this is so different. And it's kind of just fun because it just feels, I think people, if they're going to an event in general, they're doing it because they want, they want kind of a, an experience they couldn't get normally. And yes, in Vegas, we're totally jaded because of all of the amazing sort of entertainment and restaurant options we have. But um, yeah, I I don't know. I think there's some room for it. You can make it a really small, intimate house party event. If you've got some options to do that, like mix it up. Like I'm actually excited to see what you do with it because I think we need some different ways of thinking about it. I think the nonprofit sector, part of what you're feeling, Andy, is like people are getting tired of the same format, the same kind of thing. I mean, in 
And it's just like, oh, not another event. And that's what people feel, which is where the dragging energy comes from. So like, how do you mix it up and be like, so So I think it's a challenge. It's an opportunity. Um, and you'll have to invite us. And maybe one of us, like me, will go. Uh, I'm not sure Andy <laughs> will go. So we'll go, you know, Stacey and I will go. and We could be like, like Statler and Waldorf from yes. the Muppets. And just, you can hire us to just sit on the sidelines and complain about everything. <laughs> <laughs> I'm up for that. And just as long as you give me a glass of wine along with it. So <laughs> a senior level position is open in my organization and I'm interested in applying. I've been at a manager level for the last four years, and this new position would be a director level position where I actually get to manage staff and have more of an oversight role versus being a doer. Do you have any advice for how I can put my best foot forward? Yes. So I I think you get to think about what are the differences between both roles and how a like how can you ramp up your skills? So if you've I don't know if you've ever managed people, sounds like you're not doing that even in your manager level position now. You have the manager title. We see this all the time in nonprofits, right? And there isn't um you know, but but you have no staff under you, but but that's going to change if you were to get this director level position. So that leads me, if I'm on the hiring side of this, I'm looking at you going, okay, what, how do I know you know how to manage? Like, or how are you going to learn? Or like, what makes you qualified then for this role? And so I think you have, you know, a chance to whether, you know, to, to think about those things, look at that job description for this new position and figure out like how, how you show that you're either getting yourself self-trained or mentored or working toward it um, or the way you approach it or you've read some books on management or whatever, podcasts, whatever. Like, but just to show you're actually really like, hey, here's my thought on it. I haven't done it before or I have done it before. And here's, you know, and being able to answer the questions. My two questions for someone in this position, if I were interviewing them, would be, so what makes you think you want to manage people? And what would be like, like you're going from kind of like a an implementer and execute, you know, doing execution to moving to management. So, so why do you think you want to do that? Talk to me about that. And, you know, I'd give them some case studies. And I'd also say like, and what's your you know, what do you, what have you learned from others that have managed you? Like, you know, those are the kinds of things. I think just really sort of thinking about that is going to be important. I also think sort of the positioning piece of this. So like, you know, that old adage, dress like the job you want. Like, so I sit there and I think all the time, like people make the mistake of they, they don't change any of their behaviors. If they're looking to do this internally, people are watching what you're doing. So how you're showing up at meetings, right? Are you staying quiet and on the sidelines like you always have? Or are you taking, are you more engaged and maybe using your voice more? Are you sitting there with all of the sort of, you know, employees that seem like they're just kind of checking in and out of work every day and don't actually care? Or are you actually, you know, literally strategically sitting in a in a space in the room that that shows you're mixing it up. You're not just staying with the same old people. Um, like how you're presenting yourself out in public. Are you, 
you know, if there's an event the organization has, I've seen people do this all the time where they go sit at a table, right, at the side of the room. They don't network with anyone. They don't, you know, they don't do anything. And 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 then you kind of go, okay, like, you look like this is painful to be here. So, like, I don't know. Like, like thinking about just how you're showing up on all levels, internally and externally, is probably my best advice. Um, yeah. So that was a whole lot, but... <laughs> But that was sort of, I, I guess I just am thinking, I'm sensitive to this, Andy, because I hear people say they want this and then I see them doing just the opposite. Like not, <laughs> right? They're not, they don't change their ways, right? Like they're like, yeah. I want this new job. But then like, I'm internally going, well, you don't really act like you want it. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, the, and I've seen it in different organizations. I've seen it very different. So some organizations are really into taking people that are in line level roles and then moving them up. Like, you know, this person is a great, they do this one job really, really well. So let's move them into a management position. And then either, either they do amazingly in some cases, or they don't do well. And honestly, I don't know, I can't, I was, you know, as I was thinking about this, I can't think of like any, any behaviors or anything that, that is split the, you know, the good people from the people that didn't succeed as well. Um, I think whether or not you're going to get the job is like, you know, not to, not to be a downer, but your organization already knows like they're, they've already decided that they're going to put you in this position or they've decided that they're not going to put you in this position. Um, regardless of how well you, I mean, you're, I guess your interview could be a disaster, but they already know you. If you've been there for four years and you've been doing work for four years, they know all of your habits. They know what you're good at. They know what you're not good at. They know who likes you, who doesn't like you. So the decision about whether or not you're going to fit in that role really depends on what other people they interview and whether or not they have somebody else come in that they think can do a better job than you can. So I don't know that at this point, there's a whole lot you can do to like make people know that you're going to do well in this job. I don't know that. I think it might be too late for that. So so maybe if we just assume you are going to get it, <laughs> you know, assume you are going to get it. And the best of advice I ever received for something like this was I had a manager and I, in this had happened where I was moving from one role into the organization into another role. And the second role had much more leadership. You know, the first role was really a, a tactical, you're going to do these things and you're going to be done. The next role I was supervising people. I had more responsibility over big aspects of the organization. It was my first big step up. And the guy that hired me to move into the executive director at the time, he said, don't do any of the things that you used to do. Like in your old role, make sure you're not doing any of those things. Somebody is going to backfill for you and your responsibility is to let them do it. Don't ever do that job again. Um, and I think that was really good advice because the instinct, you know, you, at least for me, like I'm going to gravitate to what's familiar like the, when, when, and, and you watch this new person come on board and they do what you used to do and they do a really terrible job at it. You're like, well, I did that really well. And you're awful. And you really want to go in and fix it for them or help them out. And if they ask, you know, sure, be friendly, but don't ever regress and do the old job. Only focus on what your new job is. And I think that'll set you up. I think that was really good advice and not something that I'd thought of before either. It's good advice. And I guess I also think about this in a larger picture if you're working at a job and you are thinking about like upward mobility and where you can move up on the food chain if the opportunity arises, I think you always want to sort of be thinking about how do you continually sort of position yourself so that you are, to your point, Andy, like when the time does come and the position opens up or there's a new position, someone can 
like someone goes, wow, I've really seen a change in Stacy, right? Like she's really kind of put her best foot forward. And I, she seems like she's just being a little more, she's asking some really, you know, thoughtful questions in meetings. She seems like she's getting out of her comfort zone a little, like, I think we should consider her or, you know, whatever the case is. And so, so I guess I just always think to some degree, right? Like we're always a little bit on a job interview at like, if we're looking to, you know, if we're looking to be a kind of our best selves and continue to move upward. So, so it doesn't just happen when a position opens. It's kind of like, hey, be ready for it because um, it could happen unexpectedly and you never know. So, you know, at the end of like a, a YouTube video, there's this now there's this it's almost it's a meme now, right? Where at the end of a video, they say like, be sure to like and subscribe and support me on Patreon. And right. <laughs> yeah. Every single, it's every single YouTube video does that now. Um, yes. Lots of podcasts do that at the end. Like you get to the end of a podcast and you're like, oh, it's the, you know, I'm just going to fast forward through this part. Totally. Um, so, so we're not going to do that. We don't want you to do anything. We are, we want to thank you for sitting through this with us, for listening to us yammer on about things we think are interesting about nonprofits, answering your particular questions. We want to, instead of asking you to do something for us, we want to do something for you, which is answer more questions. So, so next time this little thing pops up, the only thing you really need to do is just click it again. And, and we will we will be here for you, your your little internet family, your little podcast family sitting here waiting to chat with you about nonprofit Aww. issues. I Think feel about like this like is that. a moment, like a kumbaya moment. Like I just want to hug you. This is this is the virtual hug coming your way. Okay, so so instead of liking and subscribing and all that nonsense, just hug your device. Whatever you're listening to, <laughs> just give your device a little hug, and Stacy and I will take that to mean that that will be the validation that we've done good work today. Hey. Um, and it might it might make your device feel nice too. And you know what? Know. Send yeah, make your device feel nice. Make us we'll feel those vibes and maybe take a picture and send it to us. That would be hilarious. <laughs> just like post will, that on our I social channels. I promise you, if you send us pictures, if you again, you um, can probably do that anyway. If you send us pictures, I will make if if unless they're like not appropriate. I got like <laughs> I, I res, reserve the right to refuse naughty things. I'll make it the um the background for the little nonprofit everything podcast the episode. We can have a different special episode like thumbnail. Yeah. And we can make that the thumbnail. That can be the background for the nonprofit everything episode. So send us some oh. send us pictures of you hugging your device or your pets yes. or whatever and have we'll start fun. putting those in the background. Have fun with it. Cuz we're in charge of this. We could do whatever we want. Stacy and I <laughs> literally could do whatever we want. Bam, boom. And no one could tell bing. us different. <laughs> Thank you.